0: This message is brought to you by Cornerstone Gospel Church in Frankston, Australia. We've been looking at the the process of growth and, um, uh, and so far we have looked at all of these areas listed here and so we obviously don't have time uh, to do a recap of those. And so we're going to move on today and look at self-denial. Self then self-denial seems like... Um, That might be the um, logical order for these. Romans chapter 6, if you open there. Romans chapter 6, we'll be reading there, verses 1 through 7. But in learning about self, we discovered that Paul made a plea for deliverance from See, and he said, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? But he follows that up with the answer. So this is another one of Paul's rhetorical questions. He's, He's not asking something that he doesn't know. He knows the answer and he's going to deliver it. Would have been a great dad. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, who will deliver me? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh the law of sin. And Paul also states that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. So we've been talking about this, and it's not a simple doctrine to understand because we... We've been made a new creation in Christ Jesus with being born again. When when we are born again, we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old, and Paul uses these past perfect tense, here the old has gone. All has become new. So when you think about the simplicity of a statement such as that in Second Corinthians 5, the logical question then comes, well, if all has been made new and the old has gone, then why do I battle so much with sin if I'm a new creation? And so this is where we find Paul talking about this in Romans chapter 7 and in Romans chapter 6, um, the one following the other, obviously. And so we've been looking a lot at Romans 6 and I'm encouraging you to spend some time through your... Days just meditating over it and, and reading over that passage—it's it is a uh, wonderful passage that will give you great insight into victorious Christian living, and that's partly to do with these two messages on self and self-denial, because Christians get caught up in this world of trying to achieve everything in their own strength. They're trying to do all that they can for God in their own strength. And that becomes a very overwhelming life because soon we realize I keep failing. Who will set me free from this body of death? I keep failing. There's so many things I want to do, God, and yet there's so many things I fail in. Who can deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, let's move on into our text for today. Romans 6, 1 through 7. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Now, it seems like a ridiculous question, but the question comes out of of probably Paul's very very powerful Jewish influence where the logic of arguments would always be explored. You know what they say when you have 12 rabbis gathered together, you have 13 opinions. <laughs> so this, this idea of, of getting around a, an, an argument, getting around a, um, a, 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 something that, that is posited and questioning that and starting to work it out. And so Paul has been putting forward an argument about victory over sin and about the grace of God. And so then he asks a logical question, if you follow on from the previous text, which is, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin so that we can see an abundance of grace? If God's grace is so amazing and is wonderful to see God's grace at work, shouldn't we therefore sin more so that God's grace can be magnified more. Because where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And so Paul is cutting off that argument. He says, may it never be, or in the King James, God forbid. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? And this is not talking of water baptism This is talking of the work that the Spirit does in our lives when we place faith in Jesus Christ. He immerses us into Jesus. Therefore, we have been buried with him through immersion into death or through baptism into death. The word baptism means immersion. It's such a pity we've taken on the Greek alliteration or the anglicized version of the Greek word uh, baptizo, which means immersion. It would be much better if in our English text we had the word immersion there because it would just make, make it a plainer text. Therefore, we have been buried with him through immersion into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we also... Uh, We shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. Father, we thank you this morning for your scripture. Thank you for the reading that Chris gave us uh, earlier, Lord, from Acts What what a powerful book for us, Lord God, to read from as we see the growth of the New Testament church and how dynamically it grew through the preaching of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we ask you, Lord, today that in our preaching of the gospel, you would mark that with the power of the Holy Spirit leading to the conversion of those who are lost. We praise you this morning. Let your word illuminate our hearts here today. In the mighty name of your Son, by whom we have access to you, Yeshua, the Messiah. Amen. Praise God. Well, no doubt if you've been a believer for any period of time, you you make a discovery, and that is that the self-life is tyrannical. You know, it's a tyrant, and uh, it dictates us, And then there's a a follow-up discovery from that is that there seems to be no end of struggle to overcome the self-life. And uh, the more tender your conscience is, and that's a good thing, the more you notice this battle. Because the more you're aware of your failings and sin. And so the more you therefore notice the battle that you're in. And this struggle though, that tension between the tyranny of the self-life and the desire to overcome that tyranny should lead to a longing in your heart. And that longing should be rest. Jesus said in Matthew 11, come to me all ye who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. That should be... That's part of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is that in that battle, when, when that tyranny of self is frustrating us and, and driving us nuts, and as we try to wage war over it and, and, and oftentimes being defeated or seemingly defeated by it, that we just desire to find that rest in Christ Jesus. Do you, do you understand what I mean? You know, you, you've experienced that? And so we often seek through many ways to escape that tyranny. There's actually a fantastic English word, um, and it's the word thraldom, which means to be under the oppression or the tyranny of someone. Thraldom, and uh, it's T H R A L. One L Dom, and you can see the domain, the domain of the thrall, and uh, and so when we talk about the tyranny of self, it's it's the thralldom of self. It's this this domain of being under the control of the self life, and uh, you know we want to get rest from that. But God has only one way, but we want to look at a few of the man centered methods that have come into the church before we look at God's one way. Any guesses on what God's one way might be? Okay, we'll get there. So the first one might be mortification. This is what a mortgage is M O R T G A G E, mortgage, death grip. That's what mortgage means. So if you've taken out a mortgage, you're you're under the grip of death uh, with that mortgage. That's what the word means. Mortification is the idea of putting the flesh to death. And this is the you know the the step of trying to deny oneself pleasures. Uh you know, for a season, for a time that in the process of time. I might gain victory over those, over those pleasures. And unfortunately the old nature simply adjusts and it thrives under these conditions because it will find some other avenue, uh, in which to a- attack us. Toza said these words, there have been those who have thought that to get themselves out of the way, it was necessary to withdraw from society. So they denied all natural human relationships and went into the desert or the mountain or the hermit's cell to fast and labor and struggle to mortify the flesh. Now, now, Tozer was a man of prayer and fasting, so he's not denying the need to have some seasons in which you might separate yourself and go and do that. But, Think for a moment of people who enter monasteries and take vows of silence for years on end, as one example, which would be somewhat contrary to going into all the world and preaching the gospel, you know. And they do this in order to try and mortify the flesh or come to the end of, of some deep understanding about themselves, whatever it may be. While their motive was good, It is impossible to commend their method, for it is not scriptural to believe that the old Adam nature can be conquered in that manner. It yields to nothing less than the death of the cross. It is altogether too tough to be killed by abusing the body or starving the affections. So our old nature is not simply uh, killed off by you and I desiring to mortify the flesh. Should we? Yes, we should but it's done in a manner first, right? And which we'll come to later on. Conquest. This is an effort to conquer self, to control self. And, you know, that's kind of reminiscent of the... Organization that Suzanne and I came out of, you know, we, we used to think that if we have more church meetings, more Bible studies, uh, do more evangelism, more prayer meetings, more of everything, um, in general, that then, uh, that'll be God's answer to the problem and we'll have a conquest over the flesh. And I, I would say that In the external, that often appears to be true. We we saw in those kinds of circumstances of the the constant flurry of activity in, in the fellowship we were involved in, that it appeared on the external that the young disciples were really growing. But in reality, they were simply far too busy to be spiritually growing. And they were learning a, a, a number of rote behaviours, you know, just these habits, which some of them were, were good habits. But when they came out of those circumstances and had to contend with the real world after being sheltered in that program, uh, oftentimes there was terrible failure that led to great defeat in these people's lives because they had not learned the proper way to victory over personal sin. And so this is not... These things have elements of truth, but they they are secondary. The same with training. You know, um, parents, we, we understand, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old he will not depart from it. These things are good. But they're not an answer in themselves, and that's not a, a guarantee uh, training in the church, training in the Christian school. These have been tried and failed. How many kids have gone to Christian schools and then enter into university only to find themselves confronted, being confronted by a, world's, uh, a worldview that is completely opposed to everything they've been sheltered into and they're unable to stand and withstand the, the pressure that comes against them there in this competing worldview. Something else has to take place. And uh and so trying you know, all, all of these things try and try and fail, uh and it's because they are an, an attempt to subdue the old nature in an unbiblical manner. Perhaps one that I can really relate to is revivalism. And this is this is really a distinct hallmark of the movement Suzanne and I were involved in. Um And this is a practice of holding series, series of meetings. Week in, week out. um, You know, our old church, we would have a week of meetings. Sunday night through Wednesday night. And we would do that every month, as well as the regular three services a week, Wednesday nights, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and and uh, evangelism co- concerts on Saturday nights, all this kind of thing, keeping people very busy. And it's this practice of holding special meetings periodically, bringing in guest speakers who may uh, be the key to some area of victory in a person's life, at least a, a hope uh, that it could be so. And... Um, calling people forward night after night to come and make a confession and a recommitment and all these kinds of things in the hope that something will change. But, you know, and my exposure to that was only 18 years, um, so maybe I don't have the significant enough uh, credibility to speak about it, but, but in my experience, lasting change was not a result of those kinds of meetings. Can they be good? Absolutely. If we, you know, we we have Anton coming in three weeks, uh, we're going to have some special meetings with him, and I I know that's going to be a wonderful time in God. But that's not the same as revivalism. Sometimes Christians say, if only I had some growth. And uh, so many Christians just keep plotting they're plotting on in a deadening routine in church activities and church duties. I was talking about this last night with a with a, a brother who came out of a, a very controlled type of group and the activities that they were involved in um, you know all of this intended to bring growth, but in fact it was what he realized as time went by that it was stifling his Christian growth and not expanding his Christian growth. And you see, part of the reason is Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. So, the flesh is not going to change the flesh. There needs to be a spiritual alternative to that, which we're getting to. We're almost there. One person said, Sometimes this self is entirely bad as when it is angry, spiteful, unkind, unjust, untruthful, unloving, catty. In other cases, a good exterior conceals an evil heart as when we are proud of our humility, conceited about our Christian service, boastful of our orthodoxy. And we've got it right down at Cornerstone. And an ever-forwardness An obvious conceit at the sound of one's own voice spoils many a prayer meeting. (laughs) Everyone's met one of those people. Maybe everyone's been that person. Then there's cleansing. None of these things appear bad on the surface. So we're not saying that it is wrong to mortify the flesh, but if you think that self-denial is going to come by first attempting to mortify the flesh rather than God's method, which we're getting to, you have things back to front and you'll be relying on your own flesh to accomplish that which God desires to accomplish in you. Self-denial is often attempted in up-to-date confession you know uh, constant prayer for cleansing uh, I, I've counseled people who have said to me I'm I'm always repenting of this and never getting the victory and that's a little bit of a contradiction but it's the way his mind was working that that he was constantly confessing these, things to God, and, and then going out and committing the same sins over and over again. Our sins, Watchman Nee said, our sins are dealt with by the blood. We ourselves are dealt with by the cross. Our sins were nailed to the cross with Jesus, washed clean in his blood. When we placed faith in Jesus, what happened to us? We were nailed with him to that cross. This is a spiritual reality. The blood procures our pardon. The cross procures deliverance from what we are in Adam. The blood can wash away my sins, but it cannot wash away my old man. I need the cross to crucify me, the sinner. What about this one? Experiences. Well, man... If there was something that marked the charismatic churches of the 90s, 80s, maybe, maybe even some of the 70s, into the 2000s, with a terrible stain, it's this, that this this, um, uh, explosion of experiences being pushed on the church, that... Uh, that somehow a an anointing of the holy spirit could be passed on to you by the laying on of hands um these kinds of things that that you could come along and and uh and and be in the river of god in this movement and if you're resisting as one person said to me if you resist you'll be you'll be left on the banks and the movement of God is going to pass you by and you won't be able to jump in later on. You know? It's like a used car salesman who says, man, this special is only for today. It's only for today. And then you drive past tomorrow and it's 3,000 bucks cheaper. And he was right. It was only for that day, but now it's cheaper again. You know, they're always trying to sell something to you through an experience. And one of the May, this, this has led to this thing where, where people think, if I just go and I just have this prayer for me, if I just get to the Rodney Howard Brown meeting and, and I can get down the front and he can lay his hands on me, the anointing will be there. False movements, false teachings. A false representation of the true baptism in the Holy Spirit. Baptism, immersion in the Holy Spirit. You see, we teach today in the modern church, we teach something about the Holy Spirit filling you over and over and over again in secondary and tertiary experiences and whatever the fourth level might be, and the fifth level is these ongoing, repeated experiences. But the baptism in the Holy Spirit is you and I being immersed into him. Paul in Ephesians talks about not being drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Paul in Ephesians is doing his antithetical teaching. If you read through the whole of the chapters 4 and 5, you'll see that he's teaching put this off, put this on. And then he says, don't be drunk with wine, put that off, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, put this on. He's not saying that we are to close ourselves off to that and open ourselves up to the filling of the Holy Spirit. He talks about alcohol being a controlling influence. He says, don't be drunk with wine in which is dissipation. In other words, this influence that leads to raucous behavior. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is directly out of the Bible times, this phrase, and it means to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. Under the control of the Holy Spirit. That phrase is used in Scripture, that people were filled with rage, filled with envy, all these kinds of things. And it meant that they came under the control of that dominating attitude. And so Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the primary method of the Holy Spirit in taking control of your life and my life, is, is in the input of Scripture into our lives with an open heart to God that we would read His Word and digest it and yield to it. And as we do that, God begins steering the ship of our lives. There was a, This is a true story. It happened this week in the States. A, a man was arrested for stealing a motorbike. He had uh, uh, been on a sob- you know on a sobriety challenge, so he he had not been drinking, and he decided that he was going to reward himself um, on this particular day, and so he went and he went to a motorcycle dealer and and he stole a motorbike. He couldn't start it, so he pushed it away from the motorcycle yard and got down the road and the police found him and he was leaning up against the wall, puffed and exhausted and sweating and, uh, and had scratched the motorcycle leaning it against the wall instead of using the stand and, and, uh, he was found guilty of stealing the motorcycle and he was also breath tested and he was nearly point .1, um, on, even though he was on a sobriety rewarding himself for his previous sobriety. And I don't think that's the idea of being sober is not so that then you can go get drunk and do something stupid. He did something stupid in his drunkenness. That's exactly what Paul says. Don't be drunk with wine in which you do stupid things. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be under the control. You know, sometimes you hear someone, oh man, I was... I was just so angry, I just couldn't control myself. Well, in the Bible times, they would say he was filled with anger. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control. And so, you know, if this man, instead of rewarding himself by getting drunk, had it been filled with the Holy Spirit he wouldn't have gone and stolen that motorcycle Mrs. Jessie Penn lewis who, who wrote some fantastic books she said Calvary precedes Pentecost death with Christ precedes the fullness of the Spirit power yes God's children need power but God does not give power to the old creation nor to the uncrucified soul, Satan will give power to the old Adam, but not God. They don't write them like that anymore, do they? And this is what you find time and time again. People who are seeking an experience and they go to these special meetings and they are hoping for Deliverance, they're hoping for victory, they're hoping for financial freedom, they're hoping for spiritual success, or you know, any number of things that they're hoping for to be a result of some kind of experience at that meeting. That someone is going to lay hands on them, touch them, the Holy Spirit's going to do something in that meeting, and they're going to go from a zero to a spiritual hero all of a sudden. but the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. What is then the real key to self-denial? Because self-denial is a a real issue, you know. It's a real issue. Maybe not for you. It is for me, you know. The cross is the key to self-denial. Remember Jesus' prayer in the garden? Father, if it's at all possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus, perfect God, perfect man, created or formed into the image of man but God in human flesh not birthed in sin like us Jesus desired another way but then said not my will but we have a battle with the old nature in this he didn't have that battle with the old nature as such But it was at the cross that Jesus dealt fully and finally with self. The old Adam was defeated there at the cross. Romans 6 verse 5, For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. Your old what? Self was crucified with him. In order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin for he who has died is freed from sin. Now, the Amplified says, we know that our old unrenewed self was nailed to the cross with him in order that our body, which is the instrument of sin, might be made ineffective and inactive for evil that we might no longer be slaves of sin. Not a real fan of the Amplified, but that's pretty good. There's a reason why there's no other way than the cross. Because God has done the work in this way. It's our identification with Jesus Christ in his death and his resurrection. That's how victory over self is accomplished. And now it's ours to believe. And this is a difficult concept because it's not just belief without any action. There's a response of ours. You and I do respond, but there is a right response. In fact, The flesh is destroyed with the cross. One man said the flesh will only yield to the cross, not to all resolutions you make at a conference, not to any self-effort, not to any attempted self-crucifixion, only to crucifixion with Christ, crucified together with Christ. That's what Paul said, Galatians 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh, in this body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm crucified with Christ I'm not living, it's he who lives in me the life that I live in this body now I live by faith in him. This is the only pathway to spiritual victory for you. Uh, The quote goes on and says it's not by putting yourself to death but by taking through faith and surrender your place of union with Christ in his death. That is the blessed barrier of safety between you and all the attractions of the flesh and that, that makes the way open to do the will of God. I've been crucified with Christ. Our identification with him on Calvary took us into death, down into a tomb and up into newness of life. That's what we've been reading in Romans chapter 6. 6, um, verse 3, that we've been baptised into his death. Verse 4, we've been buried with him. Then verse 5, if we've been planted together or buried together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Colossians 3 says, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. And Romans 6 verse 11, Reckon yourselves also to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus our Lord. The cross resulted in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ for our sin, So that we can be identified with Him in His crucifixion in order to be raised to newness of life so that we can walk in victory through faith in Him. See, so often when we stumble in some sin, don't we, when we, our conscience is tender about it and we look at ways to examine how we might take up walking in victory over that sin but it's by faith in Him. There's a quote here from Andrew Murray as we come to a close. It's a long quote, so it's going to be a bit small in the text there. The powerful effect of the cross with God in heaven in the blotting out of guilt and our renewed union with God is inseparable from the other effect, the breaking down of the authority of sin over man by the crucifixion of self. So there's a powerful effect of the cross firstly in that it blots out our guilt and therefore because of that when you and I stand before the Father we're not judged unto sin and death because we're found to be in Jesus Christ and we've been washed clean given white robes. We can we can come before his throne as a throne of grace. We certainly don't want to come before his throne as a throne of judgment. But we have access to the throne of God and the grace of God because of what Jesus did. Okay, But the other side of it is that, uh, and, and it's inseparable from this, as um, Murray said, the breaking down of the authority of sin over man by the crucifixion of self. Therefore, Scripture teaches us that the cross not only works out a disposition or desire to make such a sacrifice, but it really bestows the power to do so and completes the work. This would be called the sufficiency of the sacrifice of Christ. We we so often just look at the sufficiency of his sacrifice as being only about Sin. But it's also about victory onwards from that time you've placed faith in Jesus, victory onwards from that. And it's very easy for us to get discouraged with that. This appears with wonderful clarity in Galatians. In one place, the cross is spoken of as the reconciliation for guilt. But there are three more places where the cross is even more plainly spoken of as victory over the power of sin, as the power to hold in the place of death the I, of the self-life, of the flesh, the outworking of self, and of the world. Galatians two twenty five twenty four and 6.14. In these passages, our union, our identification with Christ, the crucified one, and the conformity to him resulting from the union are represented as the result of the power exercised within us and upon us by the cross. So as we learn to stand upon the finished work of Calvary, this is not a sitting back and saying, God, you do, you do this, you do this. This is about understanding that the cross has wrought more than just forgiveness of sins for you. It has brought about the sole ability for you and I to walk in a victory over self. This is part of that very difficult doctrinal understanding of of understanding that you and I are presently new creations in Christ Jesus and that we are presently seated with him in heavenly places even though you're right here and you're in this body That's that's what Ephesians 2 speaks of that we are currently seated with him we are seated with him in heavenly places so there is a spiritual reality but at the same time we're here in this mortal body of flesh And the faster we yield to that finished work of the cross, the greater will be our victory. And this is comes back to what Paul says, not I, but Christ. It's not I who lives, it's Christ who lives in me. Let's make that our goal in prayer, that Christ would live, in us fully to the glory of his name so you can try all those ways but it is cross the cross that is the path to victory amen hallelujah Praise the Lord. Our Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the finished work of the cross. Lord, it is simple for us to mouth such words that at the cross sin was defeated and we have been granted victory over sin through faith in Jesus. Teach us, Lord, to live in that. That each day you would sanctify us by your word. That each day, Lord, we would walk in life in such a way that brings you amazing glory. We praise you in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. It's not a um, a simple doctrine, but we complicate it by these self efforts of trying to achieve self denial by the power of self, you know, and uh, and so that is a, a contradiction of terms where what we need is the power of the cross of Christ at work in our lives and and to rest in His power. Thank you for listening to this message. You're welcome to duplicate this message in its entirety for non-profit purposes. For more information and resources, visit cgc.org.au